Welcome to the Early Childhood Intervention Family Voices podcast. We acknowledge traditional owners of the lands on which the podcast is recorded and would like to pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. The Family Voices podcast is a series of conversations with families and professionals. We hope the podcast builds on families' knowledge, skills and confidence when navigating early childhood supports. The podcast is also an opportunity for families to share their individual stories as a family with a child with a disability or developmental delay. This podcast series is brought to you by Early Childhood Intervention Australia, VicTAS. To learn more about the podcast and our organisation, please visit ekiavic.org.au. Hello, my name is Simone Dudley and I welcome you to another episode of the Family Voices podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Now all guests are special, but today's guest is especially special, Cassie Gardner. Cassie and I have had a connection for over 30 years. Cassie and her husband Mark have formed a great team. They have very different skills and talents, but together they have combined their skills and talents to successfully support their now adult daughter, Emily. Listen along as Cassie shares their story and some of their key learnings along the way. Welcome, Cassie. Yeah, hi, Simone. Tell me a little bit more about your family, Cassie. So you live in Dubbo, regional New South Wales. Yeah, we live in Dubbo. Our eldest is Emily, so she has Down syndrome. And we have Caitlin, two years younger, and then there's William and two years younger again. And my dear husband, Mark, who has, we've been on this journey together. Tell me a little bit, Cassie, about what you thought Em's life would look like and then how it actually looks now. When Emily was born, we didn't know um, that she was going to pop out with Down syndrome. And so that took a fair while to come to terms with. So it was a real whirlwind. Uh, we were, had a whole bunch of information thrown at us and basically she was going to uh, be dependent on us. And that was that, you know, went home with this baby, um, trying to figure it out for ourselves. There was lots of therapy. There was lots of doing stuff and not a lot of time just to be which is a real shame in hindsight. And, you know, I think that just being with your baby is the most important thing to do. So it wasn't very positive, really. And during that time, I had to really sort of reverse and fall in love with a child that had not been in my head. And I managed that, but it took a while. And, um, you know, she's just a stunning woman now. She's got so much resilience and she's just a beautiful human. So... Back then, we only saw a two dimension. And now, when we see Em, she's giving back to the community all the time and people, her friends and family and everyone she knows. So, coming from what we thought would happen, I can remember saying to myself, I won't be able to work when she finishes school. So, I was thinking 18 years ahead, which is definitely not the case. So, where we started is definitely not where we've ended up. So, where you've ended up is a great place from what it sounds with regards to M. She's living her best life. I know she's living independently and working hard. When you reflect back to the early years and you touched on the notion of therapy and hard work in the beginning and balancing that around trying to have a regular family life, share what some of your reflections are, Cassie, when you look back. 
Yeah, my reflections of looking at young families now, of what I thought and what we thought we had to do, there was so much, as I said, doing stuff. And it was very much related to the disability, not the child. And it's great. And there is definitely a level that um, is required and, and is just a great thing to have happen. But we feel pressure to get to a certain point and tick all the boxes and, and you get given these beautiful, you know, sheets of paper where you've got to go home and, and do the homework. And we had a, a hammock here. <laughs> I think I spent, I don't know how many hours a week swinging Emily because sometimes it was the only thing I could manage to do you know if there was other things that I I had written down and I was supposed to be doing because they were part of the the process but swinging was literally all I could manage at some point so we swung a lot and that was great to have that vestibular system and all that sort of stuff but you know I think having William and Caitlin it made it difficult for them I think because there was a lot of time that we spent with them and Emily has benefited from all the things that we did. I think that there was just a lot of stress around that. And when you look at Em now, I know that our focus would have been better if we'd had the opportunity to just see Emily as the valuable adult that she will become because of who she is and because of her makeup, because she has this amazing gift of being able to meet people in a place that it's kind of calming. You know, she'll be with you and you just slow down. And in this frenetic-paced world, that's a beautiful thing. And so, you know, because she just takes life at her pace, um, you're allowed to do the same thing. Mm. And she's very kind and she's very aware of body language and things like that. So she's, you know, will often say, are you okay? And when she goes in to do some of the jobs that she does now, she has some work. And um, I really think the joy of her is just that calmness, I suppose. And she's cheeky as too, so she can make (laughs) you laugh. And um, everyone has a different skill. Everyone has a different gift. And Em's gift is definitely that. And it's really obvious, you know, sort of, um, and some of us are really great at accounting and numbers and some of us are really great at other things, but, you know, that's hers. And so we could have focused on her personality and her social graces and done it that way. And it would have been easy because that was her strength. So really tapping into her strengths is something Mm -hmm. that you think, oh, well, you know, we could have done that to a greater level rather than feeling the pressure of the traditional therapy model that was such a part of your world in the early years is that sort of what you're saying Cassie yeah that is what I'm saying and we did change like we learned um as Em was growing up that this is what we would focus on and this is how we did it and that's uh why we decided to sort of work alongside the disability service system rather than be right in the middle of it and that was a real gift. It was it was great. We didn't have the opportunities that the young parents have got now in the way that the funding is very flexible. So it was a very different lifestyle. And then, of course, we got the pilot funding for the NDIS and it was absolutely wonderful. It, it was showing us how to use funding in order to support Emily to have a life where she, you know, it was a, it's a very self driven life for Emily. So the funding has been great. And so that was the pilot program that you speak about. And now with the NDIS fully rolled out, 
share, Cassie, what the NDIS has allowed and meant for Emily and for you, for you yeah. all as a family? Uh, uh, when Emily was had access to the NDIS, we are able to continue doing what we've done with the pilot. And because we had done that for two years, we were getting pretty good at it. We had our own staff and we've still got one of those staff from the original pilot days and uh, another one who's come in since the NDIS and we've had a, a quite a, a number of others on, on the way as well. But we've got some beautiful, beautiful humans who have been, you know, knowing Emily really, really well because she had leukaemia when she was little. So that created a whole bunch of uh, health issues. And as she ages, like at 17, she started to um, have some repercussions around that. So, you know, at 30, she's having a few more and, and she will continue to do that. But she's still here and that's absolutely wonderful. So she's not straightforward in the way that you have to know her very, very well for her to stay well. Mm. And the NDIS has created the opportunity for us to not have, you know, one support worker one day, one support worker the other day. She doesn't even have support workers. She has personal assistance, you know, and that's, that's, just, that's just wordology, but it's, it's yeah. important to us. And because your experience spans pre and post the NDIS, you know, you talk about in the old days having a service that could tell you what they could offer, where now you can self-drive. And I know you, Cassie, and I know you're a fierce advocate <laughs> for yourself and your family, including Emily. Um, share with us what Emily's day or week is like and where she lives and, mm -hmm. and what life's like for Em in Dubbo. Well, that's the other thing about the NDIS. The SIL, um, Supported Independent Living, is a set of funding that comes from the NDIS and it's a different bucket. And we'd always assumed that Emily would have the same life as the other two. And that was brilliant. Every time we got stuck, we came back to what would have been in Kate one. And so we just followed that one. Um, and instead of, you know, hearing from other people of, oh, no, you need to do this or, you know, it, you're being tough on Emily, she really can't cope with, you know, you're pushing her to do these more difficult things in the community or whatever. And, and you do, once you hear it often enough, you start to really doubt yourself. And so we had that vision that Emily would have the same life as the other two kids. And so we always came back to that. It was really, really grounding for us. So, of course, that is they move out of home. Um, em being unwell and sometimes seriously unwell, that was really hard because we needed to know that we didn't have a service that was going to have 16 different individuals in her life in any one week because she needed to have continuity. Anyway, Em lives in a home of her own. We've got a very small service. Um, and I've known this girl for about 12 years who runs it, and um, she has exactly the same values as our family does. And so we were able just to have that communication about what does Em's home look like? Uh, you know, there's five, six, seven staff, I suppose, who who work in the house with her, and they know her very, very well. And there's continuity there as well. Um, em lives with a beautiful uh, young woman who has a lot of similarities to her in the way that, She's got a really funny streak, but she's quite quiet as well. And the woman that she lives with is also, you know, very kind and very gentle and, and things like that. So that's really good. And just have, spending some time with another young woman as well. So, you know, the idea that there would probably be three people in M's home, because that works for the NDIS, but it also works for us. I think that's a good thing. And uh, so we decided that renting homes was 
really a bit complicated because she had to move out of one because it got sold. And um, so we've just gone into debt again to buy another house. That's We're just so grateful that we can do that. Um, and so Em has a home of her own for as long as she wants it. So if she wants to move, she can sell it and buy something else. And um, and that will work really well too. So it's just about safety and continuity and her knowing where she fits. Yes. And share, Cassie, a little of Em's routine and how does she participate with community oh, yeah. and employment? Yeah. So she has paid work with, it's called Go Get Em. We, um, we named her little business Go Get Em. And uh, so she started out working for, I know, great, right? Great. <laughs> so now well, what she did to start with was she was working for a couple of small businesses and going in and watering the plants, cleaning the boardroom or, you know, just doing all those little bits and pieces, going to the bank, um, doing the banking and doing post office and things like that because she has a support worker with her. So that's really lovely. But also then came Farmer Brown Happy Pins. And they have chook tractors and I don't know, a thousand chooks. I'm not quite sure how many. So Emily sells those eggs and, and delivers them. So she, she's doing well with that. And the savings for that go to her holiday by the beach that she was planning. <laughs> Which is, let's face it, what we all use a portion of our mm. income for holidays. That's um, yeah. really important. So and... She does that a couple of times a week. She also has a Friday off. And uh, she goes out with friends and they have lunch and they'll go and decide what they want to do. Mondays, she does some cooking and gives that away to some people who might need it. Um, so that's another way of her giving back. Um, she's just about to get back into softball, which is in orange, unfortunately, because there's not one in Dubbo. She's been doing that for years. And um, again, we're so lucky that she can go over there and have a whole new different set of friends. And you've just described so many different roles that Emily is participating in, whether it be work or whether it be sport or volunteering or um, socialising. And you can just imagine what her week is and how busy she is. Hopefully she has some time to pop in and say hello to you, Cassie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We do. Guys, we are still Terrific. So along your journey, you will have had a lot of learnings um, and I'd love to just touch on a few learnings that you've had. What's your take on the pressure on parents with young children that might have a, a disability or a developmental delay? I think a good thing to do is to have a set of goals to, to really work out your values around what you're being asked to do because there is a lot of pressure to improve, you know, fine motor, gross motor skills, uh, speech, all that sort of stuff. It's all really important, but it's all important within the realms of what's possible too. Like I can remember getting really, really hung up on Emily tying her shoes. Hmm. She still can't tie her shoes. And mm -hmm. guess what? She has Velcro. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. It's not mm -hmm. even that important. Um, yeah, that's a great example, think, isn't it? Because a lot of focus is on some of those functional skills where an adaption or a modification is the absolute answer. And we worked really hard. We, we thought we'd have to fight for her to be seen as kind of a useful person yeah. for someone that people would respect and honour and 
and see as Emily, who was just a person just like them. And definitely in hindsight, we fought really far too hard for that. Um, when what we had to do was really just to work at giving her a regular life, you know, just like her siblings, because then inclusion and belonging just happens naturally. And it did. As soon as Emily had roles in her community that she really liked to do and they were repeatable and um, she got a lot of joy out of it because it was hanging out with other people, you know, then inclusion just happens because she walks down the street and so many people say hello to her and I've got no idea who they are. Um, And, you know, she's safe up then. That's really interesting insights, Cassie. So you've talked about sort of fighting too hard. How has Emily stretched you personally? That's a hard question, I know. Well, I don't know who I'd be without it. And I know I would have been a very, very different person. Um, There was a lot to fight for. Mm. There was a lot of change that needed to happen. Um, I was heavily involved in organisations who were bringing on this thing that was not named yet, but turned out to be the NDIS. So I started working in disability when Will was two. So there was never going to be another career for me after that. And then I got a degree in disability studies. Um, And the joy is that we can give back to the parents of today to tell them what it was like and to say, I'm so grateful it's not like that now. And I think that we have to be really, really careful that we've got this smorgasbord of opportunities for our children. And I'm just worried that it's going to be overdone and the kids are going to be seen as a product, I suppose, rather than just the children that they are. And, you know, there's got to be a certain amount of moderation, I suppose, in letting a child be a child. Um, so I love working with families on this um I've, I've settled into a role around it's mentoring I suppose or coaching and um that's just getting bigger now because it's very confusing for us to go into a system it's certainly not easy and at the same time that you're learning about the system you're probably learning about your child uh, and juggling other family responsibilities as well at very overwhelming time and um, many families just talk about that just how difficult the period of passing through the system is. That just reminded me too what we did and I'm sure what a lot of families do still is we clutched the straws but they were very very you know some of them worked which was really great what we did around Emily's health um, was we we used the medical system, absolutely, we have to, but we also used um, an, the alternate system of, you know, the nutritionists and things like that, which we still use to this day. And it fits beautifully together. Um, they join together really, really well. If it fits your gut, if it makes sense to you and you've researched it and you've seen some sort of capacity the way it's going to help your child. Yeah, stick with it is what you're sort of saying. Um, I'd just love to finish up with something, Cassie, that you have said to me, and that really is around how you might 
feel if you make a mistake or you feel like you're on the wrong track you know share with me what helps guide you if you feel like you might be on the wrong track well you've got to start by giving yourself permission to because that's going to happen in it everything um but also at the same time you've got to trust your gut you trust yourself try the odd things try the different things think outside the box um and don't take no for an answer if it's important and that's the other thing is you've got to work out is it important enough to fight for you know this is about your child it's not about you and you just got to do it and so what you're saying really is if you're keeping your child at the centre of decisions, it's yeah. a lot harder to go off the rails or to go too far wrong. Oh, look, that's right. And when you've got your team around you, like your allied health yeah. um, support and Emily's people who work with her, who have known her for a long time, um, and family and friends who know her really well, you know, they can help you work that out a lot quicker than someone who doesn't know you very well who says, I know you're doing wrong, which, of course, you're not going to listen to. So it's really great to have that team of people around you that you trust and um, and they can tap you on the shoulder every now and again um, when you're getting too young hope. We've got a pretty good idea. We're thinking about our kids a lot. Mm. And, uh, you know, we know as long as we know the end result that we want, happy, healthy child who lives in the community and gives back. That's all I want for any of my kids. Yeah. Cassie, I can see yeah. that time's ticking. Thank you so much for joining in on this conversation and sharing M and your family's journey. I think that it is no wonder that you're recognised for your value in the sector as a mentor. You have an incredible amount to contribute and perspective over 30 years, uh, lots of learnings that are really valuable. So it's no wonder you're very busy. Cassie Gardner? Thank you for Thanks being for our guest today. Oh, it's been wonderful. Thank you. We'd just like to thank Cassie for sharing her and Mark's story of supporting Emily and her siblings as part of their family. Emily, who's now 30, experiencing Down syndrome, uh, an incredible life. Uh, you know, I feel really proud to have known Cassie for a long period of time. I think that it is because of that long period of time that Cassie's in a position to share some really key learnings. And one of the learnings that really stuck out for me was Cassie feeling the pressure that was often put on her by well-meaning allied health practitioners to achieve therapy goals. So just dealing with the volume of therapy content on top of daily life and Em's uh, siblings, William and Kate and dad Mark as well, navigating around that workload. Cassie reflected that the principles that would help her set goals were that she wanted for Em to have the same life as William and Kate. And so if they were facilitating that goal, that then helped Cassie prioritise. Cassie reflects that all they really had to work on was giving Em a regular life because participating in the range of roles just naturally supports inclusion, that inclusion just happens. 
Cassie acknowledged that if they saw Em when she was little as the valuable person that she would indeed become, perhaps they would have felt less pressure and been able to focus more upon Em's core strengths as a resilient, beautiful human with a full life. I would really like to thank Cassie for sharing with us all her advocacy efforts. You can hear how hard Cassie had to indeed work to secure funding pre and early stage NDIS to secure that funding that would indeed support some of the goals that were really important to Cassie, Mark and her family. Thank you, Cassie, for sharing your remarkable story. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Early Childhood Intervention Family Voices. Make sure you subscribe to your podcast app and feel free to leave a review to help us gain more understanding of what type of conversations are helpful to you. More information about this podcast can be found on ekiavic.org.au. Until next time, thank you for listening.